the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good morning. This is Kim Hammer, State Senator, filling in for Dave Ellswick, who is under the weather. Let's just keep him in our mind. Thoughts and prayers, if you would, please. He gets out from underneath what's bugging him down. And I want to thank you for joining us here on 101.1 FM, The Answer This Morning. Again, this is Kim Hammer, State Senator, also host of The Kim Hammer Show, heard every Saturday from noon until 1 here on 101.1 FM, The Answer, on Facebook Live. Or you go up to the podcast and pick it up on the podcast. we got a pretty full morning this morning, uh, starting off from uh, 6 to 615 with Mark Whitmore and Chris Valines from the Association of Counties. We're going to be talking about the uh, building of a new prison. We're going to go on into uh, a visit with Cheryl Mays, who is with the uh, uh, school safety uh, forum, uh, the new uh, safety uh, alliance that is looking at school safety. And then we're going to have Joe Jett on at the bottom of the hour to talk about the tax package that was passed during the recent special session and how that affects and benefits you. And we'll finish up the hour with State Representative David Ray, and we're going to talk about uh, reform in the prison system and then the bible guys will be on from seven to eight i thoroughly expect to get schooled by these guys today uh but anyway we're gonna have a great show today hope that you'll stick around with us first of all on uh, here on the 101.1 fm show we got mark whitmore uh and chris felines with the association of counties gentlemen thank you for getting up so early this morning to uh, join me here on the dave ellswick show you bet good morning all right. Let's. Uh, I was sitting in a meeting last week, uh, uh, both you gentlemen, and uh, also um, Barry Hyde, the uh, Pulaski County Judge, and uh, Rodney Wright, Saline County Sheriff, and several other dignitaries, Sheriff from uh, Lone Oak County, I think, uh, were all sitting in a meeting, and you were sharing with uh, everyone in the room about the justification uh, for why we need to build a new prison. So first of all, uh, Mark, give your official title with the Association of Counties, if you would. Sure, I'm the chief legal counsel. Okay, and Chris? I'm the executive director. So one of y'all take the lead on the conversations to the justification for, and and why is the Association of Counties involved in trying to help make this happen? Let's start off with that question first. Why the Association of Counties? Go ahead. I'll go ahead if you don't mind, Chris. Uh, yeah. Our, our problem is the, the backup into the county jails. Uh, Arkansas ranks fourth nationally in violent crime, and we haven't built a prison since 2003. We tried to build one in 2013, Governor Beebe, but he didn't get enough votes for the supermajority of the legislature, and that's caused a chronic backup in our county jails. We've got 1,900 prisoners right now in our county jails, and that's causing us not to be able to administer either felony justice or misdemeanor justice. So. We're in a crisis at this point. And when you say felony justice and misdemeanor justice, carry that thought out a little bit as far as how that backup impacts that. Give a give an example of it. 
Well, uh, for example, uh, here in Pulaski County and other counties like Saline County where you live, the jails have gotten so full holding state prisoners that misdemeanor uh, offenders actually don't end up serving their time. Uh, sometimes we call it catch and release, local police officers and people in the judicial system, that there's no accountability even at misdemeanor justice. And uh, it's starting to impact areas, not just central Arkansas, but all throughout Arkansas. Chris, you've been around a long time as the executive director of Association Counties and affiliated with the Association County, which for the benefit of those that may not know the role of the Association of Counties, what entities do you represent uh, throughout the county structure? Let's start off with that. Uh, thank you. It's a good question. We, we represent nine different uh, member associations, including the sheriffs, the county judges, the coroners, uh, county clerks, circuit clerks, uh, tax collectors, uh, on and on, uh, JPs as, as well. So uh, we are the umbrella organization that services all of those those groups. And are all of those groups, uh, I know the other day in the room you had the sheriff's department, um, you had the county judges represented. Is it fair to say or is there is there 100% agreement among all the groups that are represented by the Association of Counties as far as the need to build a new prison or are there some indifferences among the groups that you represent? I've not heard any dissension among any of our groups that uh, that this is not the right thing to do. Uh, I, I think everybody's on board with, with this need. And going back to 2013, Chris, what I was in the legislature back then. I'm trying to struggle at 6 in the morning. It's hard for my brain to wake up. But I'm trying to remember back in 2000, yeah, 2013, what was the major objection then as to why it wasn't done back then? I think it comes down to a money factor more than anything. Uh, you know, there are always options out there that, that we could look at. Um, but bottom line is uh, these things do have a price tag with them. And uh, it, it's hard to it's hard to spend tax dollars uh, uh, on something like, like this. So I, I think that was the issue. But, you know, violent crime has a price tag with it, too. Some in the sense of Absolutely. dollars and cents, but some just in peace of mind. I got to be honest with you. When I, you know, I got up this morning and started making my way up here, uh, you know, to the studio, it it was in the back of my mind. I think about that young lady that was uh, jogging the other morning. Of course, that was that was over in Memphis. Uh, but the question of peace of mind and what's the value you can put on peace of mind that if you get out, you know, regardless whatever time of the morning or day it is. Do you feel safe to be able to go do whatever you want to do, whether you're jogging at 430 in the morning, whether you're going to Kroger's at 10 o'clock at night, or whether you are just driving down the street and stop at a stoplight? There's a certain value that dollars and cents cannot be attached to the issue, especially if it brings peace of mind that you're going to be safe. And in order to secure that safety, you know, one of the key components is you got to know the bad guys are locked up. Um We've seen some situations lately with regards to those that have been released on parole uh, that have offended again and have committed violent crimes. How does that particular issue play into the justification or the need for a new prison and walk it down from the point the guy gets arrested or lady gets arrested until where do they have to place them and how long can they keep them there? I'm not a drug I think that's a great point. Go ahead, Chris. No, go ahead, Mark. 
Well, I might address that, Senator. Part of the problem is is that uh, y'all y'all have recently embarked on the idea of adding 500 more maximum prison beds. But because there's not sufficient room right now, people being released on parole after serving a fifth or a sixth of their sentence, and and violent criminals, sometimes people that they go back and reoffend. I think our recidivism rate is 50 percent in violent crime, which is one of the highest in the nation. And that's part of the problem, Senator, is that since we're fourth in violent crime, we're just not holding folks and rehabilitating. Sometimes they're serving the bulk of their sentence or a good bit of their sentence in the county jail and not getting the drug treatment or the programming that they're supposed to get. So our rehabilitation's not even working at this point. I think that's our one of our major problems. And, I, you know, I think that's a critical point is that if they're in the county lockup and, and some of these, what's the longest that a prisoner inmate uh, has been detained in the county lockup? that you can think of right off the top of your head. The first one that comes to mind is how long? I'd say over a year. We, we're averaging 100 days on average statewide, and I think Pulaski County is over 200 days to, uh, on average. So we have plenty of prisoners that have been there over a year. Which means that they're not getting access to the counseling or the mental health or the other services that they would get if they were in a state lockup, correct? Exactly. Okay. Yep. And so when they get turned loose, uh, either because there's no room at the, you know, at the state prison, uh, then we're turning them loose uh, in some ways maybe worse than what they came in because now they've been around a population that hasn't, you know, that hasn't gotten to get the services that they would get in a longer sentenced time, such as at the state prison. Well, okay, I've got a really full show this morning, but I want to thank you guys for coming on because I did just want to kind of drive home the point that um, that there is a need. And when we talk about a new prison, how big are we talking about? The studies from JFA, they've been studying it for a quarter century. They have told the legislature last year we need 3,500 additional uh, state prison beds. Y'all are adding 500. Uh, they've recently projected that just in three years we're going to have about – 1,500 more state prisoners than we do now, and we're holding 1,900 state prisoners now in our county jail. So okay. it's in the thousands. Tell you what, I'll get you on the Kim Hammer Show. We'll have an expanded talk, okay? I've got to go to a break. I appreciate you very much. That is uh, Mark Whitmore, Chief Legal Counsel with the Association of Counties, and Chris Valines, uh, who is the Executive Director of the Association of Counties. Appreciate you guys being on very much. we got to go to a break. When we come back, we're going to... Appreciate you guys. We're going to come back with Cheryl Mays, who is the school safety uh, commissioner. Uh, I'm going to give her that title until she gets on and straightens me out. We'll be right back after the break on the Dave Ellswick Show. Welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show. This is Kim Hammer, state senator, uh, filling in for Dave, who's still under the weather, also host of the Kim Hammer Show, heard every Saturday from noon until 1 here on 101.1 FM, The Answer, or Facebook Live. You can also catch it on the podcasts and uh, filling in for Dave and wishes go to him that he uh, gets to feeling better soon. On this segment, I have Dr. Cheryl May, who is the chair of the Governor Safety uh, School Safety Commission. Uh, she is also affiliated with the Criminal Justice Institute, and I've seen uh, 
Dr. May in action in committee, and uh, she is a person of great wealth, great knowledge, and also uh, someone that's deserved listening to and on the important topic of school safety with, as we are even airing this morning, parents are getting the kids up. Some have already put them on the bus uh, to go to school. The one thing that's on everybody's mind if you have kids at school is how safe are they? And so, Dr. May, let me just kind of lead off with that question. How safe are kids that are in school here in Arkansas, and what do we need to do to improve uh, the safety of schools in Arkansas? Good morning, Senator. Thanks so much for uh, having me on today. Uh, to answer your question, I think uh, our kids are, are, are safe. Um, to answer the other side of the question, can we do more? Uh, absolutely. I think uh, Uvalde uh, and Rob Elementary School was a wake-up call for, for all of us again. And um, when you look at the schools, I think, you know, most of our schools are doing a, a, a fabulous job. The superintendents, the staff, they're all doing uh, what they need to do. But there is uh, so much more that we can do. You know, as a group, and, you know, we're a group of 24 individuals. They're a tremendous group, very talented group, very dedicated and committed uh, to school safety. We wouldn't be where we are today uh, if everybody didn't contribute like they have. You know, we talk about a, uh, a comprehensive uh, and layered program, uh, and we've come up with a very large number of, of, of recommendations, um, and we understand that these are going to be, you know, sometimes challenging to implement, but we also very firmly believe that um, – it's time to raise school safety to a higher priority uh, and that we need to do these things because if we do the if our schools do these things then we firmly believe uh, all our schools will be as safe as they possibly can be and nobody disputes the fact that everybody wants safe schools especially the teachers and the staff that are you know with the students inside the school what are some of the main things that the uh, commission has found so far that will help equip schools and school officials even bus drivers you know i remember that being brought up in a topic in a in a committee meeting about um, you know you got kids on the bus and and the vulnerabilities that may be out there because of that what are some of the recommendations that have come out of the commission that are either already put in place or in the process of being put in place yeah one of the things that i think is really important for everybody to understand is you know when the governor uh, convened us as a commission back in 2018, uh, and that was on the wake of the, the Parkland uh, incident in Florida, that, you know, we came up with 30 recommendations, and we've made tremendous progress, uh, and it's definitely been uh, a huge collaborative effort. The commission did a phenomenal job, but we also had, you know, the governor and uh, you all in the state uh, legislature that back in uh, during the 2021 session, we passed a, a series of, of laws. Um, those were Act 551, uh, 620, 622, and 648 uh, that focused on a variety of different things. Um, shore up um, what SRO programs uh, should look like. To make sure that you know school resource officers uh, have the kind of training uh, that they need, and that staff uh, and administrators understand uh, what the primary purpose uh, of school resource officers are. Uh, they're not supposed to get involved in discipline, uh, and the laws 
that were passed in 2021 helps everybody understand that by requiring certain uh, training programs, not only for the SROs, but also for um, the uh, administrators that actually supervise those individuals. Um, youth mental health first aid, you know, um, mental health of our kids, um, critically important. We're at stages, nobody can seem to understand why, but the circumstances are what they are, but our kids are very mentally, uh, mental health challenged right now. We as a state, we end up being higher than other states with respect to the number of our kids that uh, want to harm themselves or are successful. Uh, in harming themselves. So these acts also required not only school resource officers, but also guidance counselors uh, to be able to uh, take a class called Youth Mental Health First Aid. And what that does is that better helps them identify uh, if there's a kid in crisis. And then being, and most importantly, being able to get that kid the services uh, that they need. Um, we also required all schools to do comprehensive school safety assessments. Uh, and included in that is a, a, a school climate survey, which had never been done before. Um, as far as the new commission is concerned, you know, we further look at this whole issue as it being comprehensive. There's not one thing uh, that a school could do that's going to make it safe. It has to be a comprehensive program and, and that layering. And the example of layering that I can give you uh, is the example of uh, Uvalde. You know, if the SRO had, if there was an SRO on site, they would have seen the individual outside. Uh, if the exterior doors uh, had actually been working properly and locked, uh, if the interior doors, the classroom doors, so any one of those elements could have been an uh, an impediment uh, for the attacker. And as far as school bus drivers are concerned, we understand that they're, they're critically important. They spend a lot of time uh, with our kids uh, every day. Um, and so there's a program uh, that school bus drivers must take every year. Uh, and so we require, we, we've recommended that there be a certain component of that required training uh, that focus on school safety. And it's my understanding that for this year, uh, that's already been implemented. So that's a that's a big plus. All right. Let me uh, I've got about two, three minutes. So let me go back to one thing that you just said. When you talk about school climate survey, give, give about a minute, minute and a half explanation of what that term means and how it applies. Well, it, what that term means is it looks at, um, for example, how, how safe the kids feel from a school safety perspective. Um, are they bullied? Uh, do they feel safe when they're at school? And these climate surveys can be critically important because it's the actions that the schools can take following the survey. So they look at the attitudes of the students, they look at the attitudes of the teachers, they look at the attitudes uh, of the staff when it comes to school safety. Uh, and then being able to look at those results and then come up with ways uh, in which to mitigate those uh, can be extremely helpful. So being able to tack that on, uh, bullying is one of those things that uh, unfortunately uh, continues to be relatively prevalent, uh, especially here. 
And so being able to identify that you've got a problem is the first step. Uh, and then once you realize there's a problem, then you can take actions uh, that can hopefully change that mindset and those actions. We think school safety, everybody goes to the school shooting scenario, but in reality, school safety is a little bit more holistic than that. It's just uh, does, does your child, um, I know of a situation where a kid was bullied and it caused the child such extreme anxiety, the child didn't want to go back to school anymore, even if it meant changing school because of the, yeah. you know, of the repercussions or the thought processes, it's going to happen again. Uh, so That's school right. safety, when we talk about that, it's it's far more expanding uh, than just dealing with guns that might be on campuses or anything else. So uh, yes, I'll tell you sir. what. Uh, and one thing, one thing we do know is that uh, many of the uh, attackers, uh, as well as those that um, plotted attacks but weren't successful, um, many of them were what we call grieved. And a lot of that grievance comes from being bullied either uh, in person and mostly in person uh, okay. with other people around. So right. bystanders are important, too. Great. i, I got to take a hard break, Dr. May. I appreciate it. I'll get you on the Kim Hammer Show coming up soon on a Saturday. I'll be in touch with you about that. And that's Dr. Cheryl May, who is the governor chair of the Governor's School Safety Commission. I appreciate you very much getting up early this morning, just sharing a little bit about it. Kids are safe. Send them to school. Thank you, Dr. May. Yes, sir. We'll be back Thank after you. break here on the Dave Ellsworth Show. Welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show. This is State Senator Kim Hammer filling in for Dave, who is under the weather. Thank you for joining us here on 101.1 FM Answer this morning. Uh, I'm also the host of the Kim Hammer Show, heard every Saturday from noon until 1 here on 101.1 FM, The Answer, Facebook Live. And you can catch it on the podcast as well if you'd like. And this morning, uh, we have several guests that have lined up. First of all, we heard from Mark Whitmore and Chris Valines. Uh, Mark is the Chief Legal Counsel for Association Counties. Chris is the Executive Director, Association Counties. And uh, we were talking about the need to expand the prison capabilities in order to uh, be able to get some of our violent crimes back under control. Also, then we had Cheryl Mazon, uh, who is with the uh, school commission, a school safety commission appointed by the governor, talking about school safety. And now we're going to move on to Representative Joe Jett. Representative Joe Jett uh, serves as chair of House Tax and Revenue Committee, has been one of the uh, instrumental architects of the uh, tax package that we're enjoying the benefit of, the tax cut that we're enjoying the benefit benefit of. I want to get Joe on the line this morning and just uh, talk a little bit about how that relates to our Kansans on the bigger scope of things. Joe, thanks for taking time out this morning to be with me on the Kim Hammer Show. You bet, Kim. Always good to be with you, buddy. Oh, sorry, I was in Saturday mode, Dave Ellswick Show. Sorry about that. <laughs> so thanks for being on the Dave Ellswick Show this morning. I'll catch you Saturday on that other one, okay? Uh, hey, yeah, go ahead. No, I started saying I'm in 6 o'clock mode, so it's all, all's well. All is well. That's it. Hey, um, go back to how long you been in the legislature, Joe? Oh, man, Kim, I come in in uh, 2013 um, in the 89th General Assembly. So I was my first term was Mike Beebe's uh, last two years there. Okay. And since that time how long have you served on the uh, tax and revenue committee because i know you got a long history with it yeah so uh, i was fortunate enough when i first come in um, davy carter uh, appointed me as uh, the vice chair so my first term um, in the house was was i was vice chair with charlie collins and uh, charlie was busy um you know, Charlie had his plate full, so him and I worked well together. And um, 
um, we um, seemed like to me the first, my very first term, you know, we shepherded in uh, 110 million dollars worth of tax cuts on that very very first term. And then my second term uh, in the House was uh, Jeremy Gillen became Speaker of the House, and he appointed me to uh, as the chairman. So I've actually been chairman of Revenue and Tax uh, in the House for four terms now. I've got it. Uh, I have eight years under my belt. So when we started um, way back when, you know, when I first come in, I'm kind of proud of this fact. Uh, not, not proud of the fact where we were on top marginal rate, but. We started at 9% top, top marginal rate, and uh, we're down to 4.9%. So, uh, in my in my since I've been uh, chair of revenue tax, we've gone from 7% down to 4.9%. And little known fact, 1929, I believe Arkansas enacted its first income tax, uh, if you will, and uh, they set it at 5%. So. We, it's still not perfect. I'm not claiming to be perfect, but we are lower than, uh, this is the lowest that the income tax has ever been. So uh, I'm proud of the fact that uh, we've actually got it uh, historically, uh, the lowest it's ever been since it's been enacted at 4.9%. You know, one of the things I try to explain to folks whenever they question about, well, why can't we bust it down to zero? And that, you know, that's an idealistic goal that we're we're kind of moving toward. Um, one of the one of the considerations we have to take in is that we've got a large surplus right now. Uh, I've kind of lost track of it. I know it's above north of 1.2. I think it's around 1.6, but that number kind of changes month to month. A lot of that's created by the artificial inflation of the federal money that's in the state that we know is going to stop one of these days. And that is going to have a direct impact upon how much we're going to be able to give in the way of income tax cuts. Tie those two things together with the experience you've got as, you know, the revenue uh, tax chair. Uh, Tie those two things together as far as how much more breathing room do you think we have? I won't hold you to it, but how much more breathing room do you think we have coming back into the next general session to take another swipe at it? You know, there might be some. Um, You know, the thing thing also that I'm proud of that that we did cut in a responsible manner, we didn't go out and slash cut and burn but we stair stepped it down into a responsible manner not only do we cut income taxes we we cut corporate tax cuts tax rates as well the reason why that is important because a lot of our arkansas farms are, are run in small business or business in general but we have a lot of uh, farming and ranching in arkansas as everybody knows and a lot of these folks you know they, they operate uh, on the corporate side of things so um, I was proud of, of taking the corporate side down along with the income tax. But to your point, Kim, um, so what uh, Arkansas is a receiver state, which means that we receive more money than we bring in from the uh, when we get to the uh, federal dollars, right? So it takes Arkansas $22 billion to operate. We bring in $6 billion in change, B with, you know, billion in change. So there's an offset of $16 billion, and that, that money is made through matching grant money. So out of the $6 billion and change that we bring in, $3 billion of it is through income taxes. So what we have to be careful of is we can't cut too much because then um, we, we run into the situation of losing federal dollars. And when I say federal dollars, that, that money flows in through highway funding, education funding, 
DHS, do Medicaid issues, um, so on. So it's a big balancing act, and the money that we send to D.C., our matching money is not a one-for-one matching grant. So in other words, for every one dollar we send up there, you know, it's not one dollar we get back. Like on Medicaid, I think it's 23 cents. You probably know more about this than I do, Kim, but thanks for every 23 cents we send to D.C., we get the rest of that dollar back from D.C. So the, the, the issue is so complex that I've asked DFA multiple times um, and uh, some other organizations multiple times to get me a figure on for every dollar that we cut uh, that we lose on our matching grant, what, what's that What's that equate back? Because we really need to know that figure as we cut tax because now, now we cut the low-hanging fruit, if you will, um, so now it's going to get to the point now to where we got to really be really be careful about uh, as we move forward. Uh, and I'm not advocating for not cutting any more taxes. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is is there's a lot of unintended consequences out there that we're not aware of right now um, as we move forward in the tax uh, cutting realm. So, and I. I guess back to your question is, do I think there's more room? Uh, I think so, but also, you know, as you mentioned, um, there's a lot of stimulus money still floating in the economy, and, and nobody really knows how much money that is. And as inflation um, keeps moving forward, obviously that's eating into that. And, and when it stops, you know, I, I don't want the state to be set up for a perfect storm, if you will. So. I'm all for letting the, letting the smoke settle, dust clear, um, and then, and then uh, once we kind of get our hands wrapped around a couple of these issues, then I'm, I'm off and moving forward. But right now, I think we've done a, a, a pretty decent job. Is it perfect? No, I'd be the first to admit it's not perfect, but, but we're moving the state into the right direction, and uh, we've done it in a responsible manner. And I'd hate to see us do it for 10 years like what we've done and all of a sudden blow up here on the bottom end. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question, Kim, or not. I know it's a long uh, answer to a short question, but I think that's the best I can do for you, buddy. No, that's good. And and part of what I wanted to bring out is we all want lower taxes. Uh, part of lowering taxes is also about the services that we offer and are they essential. And there's always that balance between shrinking government, which allows us to shrink taxes as well. The When you compare us to other states, and I've only got a couple minutes, Joe, but when you compare us against other states, um, because we compete against our border states, tax, you know, we, we always get compared to Texas who, you know, no personal income tax, but they got other taxes that more than make up for it that people don't think about. They just, you know, it's not an apple to apple comparison with our border states, even into the regions in your opinion do you feel that we are close to being competitive we're greater than being competitive and how much more do we need to go in order to get competitive i think we're competitive you know uh i i do hear from some of our colleagues that's not uh well versed in, in the issue that you just talked about cam you know uh, the border states where texas does not have uh, income taxes well their tax base when you when you lot their property taxes up when you when you take in license plates just you name it uh, when you want it all together they pay their tax basis on par with California now people say well they don't pay income taxes well they don't but but their property taxes and like I said their license I think license plates are like five hundred dollars a pop 
something like that. I think when you when you wad it all up together, they're out far with California. So it's not apples to apples. But I do like where Arkansas is heading. We're one of the top. I think, like I read something here a while back in the Wall Street Journal, we're one of the top uh, in the top five, top top ten, something like that of states that people are migrating to uh, because people want to come live here. And part of it is because we we are trying to get Arkansas as a tax friendly business state. Um, yeah, and I don't. So, uh, I forget where we are, you know. I don't mind them coming here. I just don't want them to bring the liberal policies with them because then, in about twenty, thirty years, forty years, we're going to be just like what they left, and they brought the garbage with them. And I don't want Arkansas to become a garbage dump for people that want to bring their liberal policies. Because you look at those states they're moving out of. The one of the big reasons they're moving out of them is because they have taxed themselves out of existence. And and. I mean, welcome everybody, but leave your liberal policies at the border. So, all right, Joe, I got I got like less than thirty seconds. I'll give you the last thirty seconds. Anything you want to say? No, I appreciate you, and I can't argue what you just said. Uh, but I do think it shows that Arkansas is a desirable state to live. So I think it, that means that we are doing something right. Can, like I said a while ago, can it be better? Absolutely. Uh, Always. We, I think we in the right direction. Alright, I'll get you on the Kim Hammer Show sometime. We have an expanded conversation about the tax package. There's a whole lot more to it but I appreciate you taking time this morning because it is encouraging. We are moving in the right direction and we'll get there as quick as we fiscally, reasonably, and responsibly can. Alright, you're listening to the Dave Ellswick Show. I'm filling in. This is Kim Hammer, State Senator. When we come back we're going to have Representative David Rayon and we're going to talk about uh, juvenile, or juvenile justice reform when we come back here after the break. Welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show. This is Kim Hammer, State Senator, filling in for Dave, who's under the weather. And also, I'm the host of the Kim Hammer Show, heard every Saturday from noon until 1 here on 101.1 FM, The Answer, or Facebook Live. Or you can catch it on the uh, on the podcast on your favorite platform. For the uh, last part of this hour, I have Representative David Ray with me online. David, thank you for uh, being on the, on the uh, Dave Ellswick Show this morning. Hey, good morning, Kim. It's great to be here with you. One of your strong passions is about uh, justice reform and uh, with all the activity going on as far as, as you maybe heard at the top of the hour, uh, we're ranked number four in violent crimes uh, in the nation, which is not exactly something you want to fly up your flagpole and say, hey, look what we're doing. Uh, rather fly the flag up the flagpole and say, hey, look what we're doing to not be number four. Let me just give you an open mic for a minute to talk about why it is a passion to you and some of the things you think that uh, we we need to take a look at a direction that we need to be going in in order to get us off that number four ranking well kim i i first of all i will say i started looking into this problem for two reasons you know i don't i don't have a background in law enforcement this is not um my subject matter area of expertise but i started looking into it for a couple of reasons number one i wanted to try and understand why our our country and our state were experiencing a huge spike in violent crime um, we see it on the news every night, especially those of us that live in central Arkansas. Uh, it's a reality that, that we live around. Um, and so I wanted to tr- try and get a better understanding of what in the world is going on out there. And secondly, um, through my work with, as you know, I work very closely with our lieutenant governor, Tim Griffin, who's running for attorney general. And he has made this issue of Arkansas's parole problem sort of a centerpiece of his message in that attorney general's race um, in helping him sort of research this problem. You know, what I've found is that we, we truly do have um, uh, not just a parole problem in Arkansas, but it is it is 
um, genuinely reached what I would think is a crisis level, and shockingly few people are aware of it. Um, you know, in Arkansas, what it basically boils down to is, in Arkansas, many violent criminals basically go free after they serve just literally a fraction of their sentence. Um, and we're not talking about, I'm not talking about people who are hot check riders or, or pot smokers or things of that nature. I'm talking about serious violent offenses. Um, you know, people killing other people, people raping other people, um, you know, serious, serious crimes. Um, and, and our parole system is basically, uh, it's both deceptive and dangerous. It's deceptive from the standpoint that when you read in the paper that there's a criminal who's received, let's say, a 20-year sentence, um, and and you think, oh, well, great, justice is going to be done there. The story doesn't tell you that that criminal is likely going to be back out on the street in just a few short years because of parole. Um, you know, I'll give you one example under Arkansas law. Uh, someone who's convicted of sexual assault, which is a very serious crime. You know, a lot of sexual assault is, is actually rape that gets pled down because of a, a lack of evidence. You know, someone who commits sexual assault is eligible for parole after they serve just one-sixth of their sentence. That's less than 20%. That's about 17% of the sentence they receive. So that means that if you were to sexually assault a minor and you received 12 years in prison, you can be eligible for parole in just two short years. So it's clearly deceptive in terms of what the public believes that violent criminals are getting in terms of um, uh, punishment. But it's also dangerous because as we're letting these violent people out on parole, you know, where do you think they're going? They're coming back into our communities to commit more and more violent crime. And so, you know, as I as we started looking through um, the, the just the news stories that you see on TV every night. You know, when you see a story on KARK or KTV or when you see in the Democrat Gazette that, you know, this person got uh, 15 years convicted of rape. Um, you know, we started researching these folks as we would see them, and a shocking number of them, Kim, are out on parole. And it's this this repeat violent offender that is really driving a lot of the chaos that we see. Uh, you know, the, the, the weekend uh, that we had in Little Rock just a few weekends ago where there were something like 17 or 18 shootings, um, a very large chunk of that violence was driven uh, by people who were out on parole. Uh, again, going back into the community to commit more and more violent crime. So that is um, that's sort of the, the basic summary, and and the parole problem is really a function of two things. I think earlier in the show you had some, <clears throat> excuse me, you had some folks on from the Arkansas Association of Counties talking about our our prison overcrowding problem. That's part of it. We don't have enough room to hold all of the violent offenders in our state because we haven't built any prison infrastructure in Arkansas. In over in, in in two decades, essentially, um, so that's part of it. We have a prison capacity problem that needs to be fixed because the overcrowding is so severe. By the way, this is not a Republican Democrat thing. You know, this is something that everybody from you know our Democrat county judge in Pulaski County, Barry Hyde, has been. 
talking about very vocally recently. You know, also you have you know, conservative Republicans like Tim Griffin, uh, who's running for attorney general, talking about this. So there, there is bipartisan agreement. We need more prison capacity in the state of Arkansas to deal with our violent criminals. Um, hey, so let me interrupt. Let me interrupt you yeah, for sure. a second on that one. I've, I've got like two or three minutes left, but on the bipartisan issue, I agree. I think there is bipartisan support. I think what's disturbing, and I heard this in the meeting the other day, the Association of Counties, and you were there when we were talking about the prison thing, this shouldn't be a question of bipartisanship. What it should be a question is, are you on the same level of thinking as far as how we go about fixing this? Because there'll be some Republicans who won't support it. There'll be some Democrats. And while it is bipartisan in that we have some Republicans and some Democrats, what's more bothersome to me is, why would you not want to fix this problem? Why would you speak against this problem? And what does that say about you as far as, do you want a safer uh, central Arkansas? Do you want a safer Arkansas? Do you want to turn this into a mini Chicago, you know, where, you know, Lori Lightfoot up there is just let the thing go to, you know, wear in a handbasket? It, it it needs to be bipartisan, but we need to get people in lockstep that the way that we solve this issue is doing this. And if people don't understand that doing this is what's going to fix the issue, we need to let the spotlight be on them, whether they're Republican or Democrat, either one, because this is bigger than a party issue. This is a survival issue for the state of Arkansas as far as violent crimes. i got about a minute left. Go ahead and finish it up or clean yeah, it up. You, yeah. Well, you're you know you're right. Uh, there are there is some bipartisan agreement that this is a problem, but there's also, unfortunately, some bipartisan pushback. And I, I, look, I think a lot of the Republican pushback, to the extent that there is is any, uh, is really because there's a lot of people who buy into a lot of the myths about criminal justice in in America and in our state. You know, there's there's a lot of people that believe that you know our our state prisons are just filled with nonviolent people. And that if we just got rid of the nonviolent people and let them go, we'd have room for all the violent people. That's a myth. Most of the people in state prisons are either level nine or level ten, meaning they're the most violent of the violent. And um, the people are not languishing in prison because they wrote a hot check or they smoked a joint. That's just a myth. It's not true at all. The statistics do not bear it out. And then you know, unfortunately, there is a there's a. a large okay. strain of the democrat party that just opposes any any uh punishment of, of violent criminals all right i have I, to say that but it's a fact i got to cut you off david i'm, I'm glad that uh, this is a issue that's passionate to you tim griffin and some others working on it i know act 946 2021 has helped but it doesn't get us across the finish line we want to get across the finish line because we want to be the safest state lowest tax state and we want to be the best state to live in david ray thank you very much we'll be back with the bible guys after the break here Welcome to the Dave Ellswick Show and the Bible Guys. Uh, Dave is under the weather, so this is Kim Hammer, State Senator, filling in for Dave this morning. We're going to have on for the next hour the Bible Guys to answer questions that uh, maybe have been sent in over the last week. We'll just uh, I'm going to take advantage of the opportunity because I've never sat with you guys mm. before uh, to talk about some things relevant, I think, to the world today, especially as you uh, mix in the ministry and mix in the Bible with world events and things going on today. And uh want to just not take... Uh, 
the assumption that everybody knows who everybody is sitting in the room, and I think Steve's dragging in with everybody's coffee here in a second. Dave failed to get that job covered, so we're all kind of winging it on our own here. (laughs) Uh, You know, so if we're a little scattered, now you understand why. But, uh, Billy, let's start with you over here. Yes, sir. And uh, just name, title, and uh, the the church affiliation you're with, and give people a little comfort level about you, if you will. Sure. Uh, I'm Billy Miller. I am with the Ahava service, which is our... Uh, Sabbath, our Messianic service on Saturdays out at Agape. All right. And Scott? Yeah. Uh, my name, uh, my full title, I'm, I'm uh, Dr. Scott Stewart. I'm the senior pastor of, um, of Agape Church uh, on 701 Napa Valley Drive here in Little Rock. Um, my um, my wife and I spent um, half of our lives, uh, actually my wife's more of our life, uh, overseas. Um, so I uh, was uh, very much in a... Uh, a missionary uh, lifestyle as a as a church planter, and um, returned to the states, and became uh, the pastor, the lead pastor at Agape Church about eight and a half years ago, and um, and we are, um, well, I guess that, that I guess that pretty much gives most people kind of an idea of who we are, what we're doing. Anybody that's listening to the show uh, realizes you guys bring a world of knowledge to the table. Um, hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, forget, as long forget. as it's a world of knowledge and not worldly knowledge. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We, are, uh, we are in the business of judge not to be not judged and uh, also, um, you know, just just be humble and abundant in mercy and grace. So Amen. we'll leave it at that. Uh, some people know, some people don't know. I pastor a church. I've been in ministry 42 years. Um, in that 42 plus years, I've pastored four churches. Um, pastored in uh, Judson or uh, yeah, Judsonia was my first one. Desark was my second. Holland Chapel in Benton was my third, where I was on staff for 16 years. Uh, associate pastor, administrator, and currently now uh, pastor of Saline Baptist Church, a little community called Tall, outside of Benton. So 42 years in ministry. How long have you guys been in the ministry? Uh, I have been in... Not how long it feels, how long it's been in the ministry. <laughs> there's a big difference. There's a huge difference, yeah. Uh, I have been in the ministry uh, um, a little over 30 years now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I guess technically I've been in ministry for 25, 20-ish, uh, but I, I'm a pastor's son too, right? So uh, essentially... PK, PK, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Pastor kid, so uh, my entire life is yeah, right. that. So. <laughs> born in the ministry. <laughs> so, born in and born, born again in, in there you the go. ministry. There you go. There you yeah, go. So were you born in the church nursery or were you in the hospital? I didn't know a lot of in the church nursery. Just kind of uh, start actually, off there. I actually was born in the graveyard. So yeah, oh. that, Seriously, my parents, when what? I was born, they lived in a little house directly beside the graveyard. They started out to get to the hospital. So that's what's wrong with you. I have been wondering what is wrong with started this started out guy. to get to the hospital and, and didn't make it all the way so you know <laughs> are you that, kidding me i'm not really? kidding you born on the side of the road at the at the cemetery are so. you <laughs> so wow so now, so now we can say come forth billy instead of last <laughs> there you go right there you go come forth, so, come forth so. i had no idea yeah, that's, that uh, explains so much I, it does yeah, I mean, really, that explains that, a lot. that eerie part about him now we understand <laughs> right. that eerie part yeah. about him so. does, does steve know that uh Probably not. It's not a story I tell real well, often, and particularly he, not to that joker. Right? He, so, he knows now. The good thing he's goodness. out making coffee. He, uh, he may be listening out uh, the hall. But, so let me ask you. You guys got uh, we got some collective time in the ministry when we combine it all together. Somewhere in the hundred plus, you know, mm. uh, years combined total. Not not mention Steve and get in here. Yeah. What are the what are the biggest changes that y'all have seen from a ministry perspective? 
as far as, for lack of a better term, doing church in the world? What's some of the biggest changes you've seen? Um, for, well, for me, um, having spent half of my life in missions uh, and living in uh, nine different countries, um, there's been a lot of a lot of shifts and changes. Of course, you know, I don't know. I don't know what it's like as far as in the states because I haven't been here except for the past uh, eight and a half years. Um, but over overseas, it it's been very um, well because you know, well, it's kind of hard to, to quantify uh, over overseas as opposed to being here. But in the but even in the time I've been here, um, the um, the thing that I have noticed uh, is obviously the rise of technology when it comes to uh, how to minister and the way you minister. Um, and um, you know there was a you know there was a time where uh, you could uh, teach or say something and people would uh, listen to you, hear it, accept it, and believe it, and move on. And now I make a statement or I mention a you know a year something happened or whatever, and I have people fact checking me in the congregation you yeah. know, to yeah. see if I, what I'm saying is is right or whatever. So there's I think technology has been a huge shift in the way that things happen, but I also think you've seen a steady decline in hunger uh, among people. Uh, I don't see the rate of hunger now. Again, living overseas, you know, every country I moved to would do ministry a little bit differently. So there's a, a lot of changing I had to do for that. But you know, over the years, I would always come back, you know, on furlough or on sabbatical and uh, and minister around the country. And there just seems to be a, a lot less uh, hunger level among uh, among people. Um, I used to say this, and I've said this many times on the show. When I lived in Europe, I used to come and travel in the states, and I used to. In my sermons, I used to tell people in America, hey, everybody, I live in the future, yeah. and I've come back to the past to tell you what our future looks like if we don't change as a people. And the longer I'm here, and over these past eight years, I see we're on a, we're on a full-bore run into being uh, like Europe. So uh, there's a, a huge change within, within, within the context of American church and culture that I see moving us towards more of a European uh, mind. I was, reading, sad. I was reading an article earlier about uh, we're heading back into the dark ages yeah um and and it's really kind of scary because and i've always wanted to do the the study of the comparison of the decline of rome you know to the decline of america especially as the impact of social decay Mm -hmm. you know set in and like a little cancer just grew into it finally consumed or into the spiritual decay sure as well Mm -hmm. and the similarities that are drawn between the path that they were on and the path that we're on and why would you think you're going to end up at a at a different level right well there's a reason why we say those who are ignorant of history are bound to repeat it and there's a reason why we say that because history does repeat itself it's cyclical and if we don't learn the mistakes of the past we will most definitely repeat it and we're doing that right now i mean uh, i have lived in the future i mean europe is very much the future of where america uh i mean it was europe in the past they were the bastion of of the christian faith christian belief they were the ones who produced people like uh uh, Spurgeon and Eric Little and uh, and they're the ones who produced these these great minds and they're the ones who produced the uh, the scriptures. I mean, m- most of us still use you know predominantly the King James, the New King James Bible that came out of the the UK. There was a time where the sun never set on the British Empire, and right. for some reason they've shrunk into a handful of islands. Something happened to reverse all the progress and the strength. Most people don't know this, but before the Second World War, it was the British pound that was the world currency. Yep. It wasn't the yep. dollar, and and uh, and so something has happened that's reduced them. And it's the, the it's the continuous backstepping and walking away from the fundamentals of the faith that they once aspired or that they once promoted. We now are doing 
the same thing that they did, but we're doing it on steroids. I mean, the British Empire, um, you know, well, let's think about, you know, Rome mentioned Rome. Rome basically ruled the whole world barefisted for 700 years. We have only been the world power since Second World War, and we're already losing it. Right. We will be one of the one of the fastest falling empires the world has ever seen. Because, I mean, the British Empire, they ruled the planet for about 400 years. Again, not with satellites and internet. They did it with their bare hands. And we are trying, we're ruling the world with all this technology and pushing a button and blowing this up and blowing that up. Yet we are falling faster than yeah. any nation before us. And, you know, even in the UK, as secularized as what they are and as secularized as what Europe is, one thing that they still held on to that we have let go of is when my kids went to school, secular school in Europe, in, in the UK, at Christmas time, guess what? It was the story of Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When my kids were in elementary school in Europe, they still did plays about Noah's Ark and what happened. I mean, at least they didn't deny yeah. what history. At least they said, yeah, we celebrate Christmas because there's a Christ. Here, we've removed all that. So our fall is much faster than anything Europe has ever seen. And we generations are going to look back and see the fastest decline of a, of a world empire in the history of the world. Which there's no reason for God to protect us or no reason for God to help us in the direction that we're going. You know, and I've got to take a break, but, you know, we hear people say, God bless America and always want to tag on. Why? We'll take a break. We'll be back after this here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show. This is Kim Hammer, State Senator, filling in for Dave today. He's under the weather, so we pray he gets uh, healed up and gets back in here quickly. And uh, also uh, host of the Kim Hammer Show, heard here on Saturdays from uh, noon until 1 on 101.1 FM, The Answer. You can go up to the KimHammerShow.com Facebook page and website and keep up with all the current information as well. And uh, today I'm filling in for Dave, and we've got the Bible guys in. we got two out of three. Uh, we're, two-thirds. We're above that. Steve got lost on the way to coffee pot somewhere we haven't seen him since so i'm not not sure and uh, we're pretty sure it's not the rapture i'm, I'm sure of that okay he's well, just lost well but, i tell you what kim we've noticed as we've done these shows throughout the years we've noticed that typically the show the better shows we have are the shows when when it's just the two of us that's right oh that's right. typically when steve is in here the the, uh-huh. the ratings go up i, I love so. the way brothers take care of brothers <laughs> in their absence man that's just that's love if I, you know there's much less contention yeah it's yeah. just, it's just yeah. a nicer day even though i'm the loudest one it, it gets quieter in here it's so much day. easier when it's just and the, and the biblical truths are pure <laughs> as a result of it so yeah. we're we don't have we don't have People can be driving around safe this morning. Yeah, they they're, they're we, don't have to, we don't have to clean up messes after it's all right, over right. It's, it's just yeah, a I nice sent a bunch day. of emails apologizing to people. I'm just yeah. saying. Uh, speaking of scripture, uh, what is it? Pride goes before destruction. <laughs> okay. All right. Moving on. Uh, I'll tell you what. we got about eight minutes. Let's take a – you guys are in control of the questions that are out there. So what are, what are the questions? And if you want to call in a question, uh, 501-823-0965, 501-823-0965. You can call in. We'll ask the Bible guys to respond to any questions you may have. All right, so what's the uh, first question on the list you got? So, Pastor Scott, is uh, is God a cosmic bully? That, that's the gist of the entire question there. Is God a cosmic bully? Cosmic bully. Uh-huh. Uh, the answer would be no. Um, so he's, he's not just sitting up there with a hammer waiting to smack us in the head? Hey, watch it. Name <laughs> Hammer. Watch it. Okay. okay. All right. Go ahead, man. Go ahead. The last name Hammer, you do have to be a bit defensive. Yeah. Of questions like yeah, that, yeah. Uh, the answer, of course, is no. God is a loving, compassionate father. Uh, and to confuse the two is uh, has been a um, very much a position of 
of religion as opposed to relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the answer to the question is no, God is not a, quote, cosmic, um, cosmic bully. The, 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 I think the, the reason why people think this is because um, they, they misunderstand uh, the character and nature of God. If you understand that what God's nature is and his character, then you would never put him in the classification of a a bully. Now you may have been taught that yeah. from a you know someone may have taught you that that was the case, and unfortunately, um, it's a more sometimes in order to learn something new you have to unlearn something old, and sometimes people are in a place where they have to be taught the fact that um, that God is good. Um, that's why the Bible tells us this: that God is good. Jesus uh, said, "When you've seen me, you've seen the Father." Did Jesus ever bully anybody? Did he ever turn anybody away? Uh, did he ever not heal someone who asked him to heal them? Did he ever reject someone who came to him? Uh, the answer to all these questions is no. So Jesus is the Father personified. So you can look at the life of Jesus and see that he was love incarnate, and uh, you can then see the actions of the Father. He, Jesus said, I don't do anything unless I've seen my Father do it. I don't say anything unless I hear my Father say it. Uh, and so what you see from Jesus is the manifestation of, um, of the love of God in in action. Uh, and also you have to understand that there's more than one force in the world. Um, there are two forces. The Bible says, Jesus said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly, but the thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. So we're not walking around here with just one force in the world. There's the, there's the demonic force, the evil force that's in the world. Uh, and it is, Jesus said, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So he differentiates himself from the, quote, bully. Uh, and if you're seeing something that's stealing, killing, and destroying, uh, Jesus said, that's, that's not what I came to do. I came to right. give life and life more abundantly. So there is, you need to understand what you're dealing with. Um, and uh, if you're dealing with a demonic force, an evil force, there you're going to get the bullying. But God is not tag-teaming with the devil to do stuff to your life. He's given us his word. He's given us his spirit. It is a love of God. The Bible says in Romans, it's the love of God that brings a man to repentance. We know that godly sorrow brings forth um, uh, repentance as well, but that godly sorrow is, is wrapped in case and love because God is love. You know, I think back to when Satan came and tempted Eve, one of the things that he did was he said, surely God would not. And I think that theme plays true through today that mm-hmm. people have things put in their mind of an image of God yeah. by Satan that mischaracterizes who God is. So God automatically gets put on the defensive yes. from the beginning in some people's mind that, for example, if, you know, is God a bully that he would intimidate people to do certain things or a punishment would come appropriate. Well, mm-hmm. that's the way maybe the world would look at it, the way Satan would present that thought process. Mm-hmm. But God, on the other hand, presents and says, you know, here are my standards, here are my guidelines yep. that are best for you, kind of like a parent. Right. This is what's best for you. If you do it, no problem. If you don't do it, I love you enough that I'm not going to let you keep doing the same thing over and over and doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. And not bring a form of punishment to right. lovingly correct right. you back right. into the straight and narrow. Absolutely. The, the book of Proverbs, the book of Hebrews, the book of Revelation says um, basically the same thing. It says those that I chastise are the ones that I love. Yep. I mean, it's, it's, it's love-based. I mean, God doesn't punish us because 
You ticked him off. Now he's angry. He says, uh, you know, if I, he says, you know, I, I love you, and therefore I'm going to chastise you just like a father does uh, a child. Right. And if you look at the problems we're dealing with in society today that mm-hmm. we as ministers receive in, because, you know, we're not, we're not immune to sure. a difficult population coming into our church or things happening within our church. Mm-hmm. But when you think about the absence of the father oh, yeah. mm-hmm. in the home mm-hmm. and the lack of the disciplinarian in the home That's right. that was officially assigned by God to the mm-hmm. family unit to be the man, yep. now you can understand why people turn out the way they do That's when right. they don't have that loving father mm-hmm. or that father who knows how to love yep. or that father who doesn't discipline with love in the home and the spinoff problems that it creates that we as a society are dealing with thus to your point a while ago that's why we're heading down the slippery f- slope picking up speed mm-hmm. in my opinion is because there are irresponsible men who are not being the fathers they need to be in the home that's right i think a lot of it goes to um, you know obviously you, you mentioned this about into into the into the culture and unfortunately the government has a big role to play in that uh, yeah. i think this i think the numbers show that before the welfare state was put in place uh, back in the 60s the fathers who were in the homes i think the numbers were uh, I don't, of course, it wasn't 100%, but it was very, very high. Whereas once the government stepped in and said, you know what, I will provide for you, and if you don't stay married, I'll actually give you more money. Uh, and what happened is the the, the uh, fatherless rate began to, uh, began to increase in the homes because the fathers were able to uh, abdicate their responsibility with the thought, well, somebody else will, will be a safety net for my family. The same thing happened in Europe years ago. I mean, it is a, it is a cradle-to-grave welfare state uh, to where now – uh, in um, in Europe, the vast majority of people just live together. The, Which is what's happening uh, here. Exactly. And that's why I said for years, I live in the future, and I'm telling you, come back to the past, i tell you what <laughs> it looks like. It's, it's the same. We're following this pattern. And the more fatherless homes you have, the less you have this uh, this structure that you were uh, that you were talking about. And um, and it leads to it leads to this um, this degradation that we're going into. Yeah. We, we, we can never forget that a country – is really a, a collection of, in our case, states, which is really a collection of cities, which is really a collection of families. Family sets at the basis of society. And when you break the family down, as we have been doing for the last, I don't know, 50-ish years, when you, when you destroy the family, you destroy the underpinnings of society. Without a family, you don't have a functional, a properly functioning society. And this whole um, dad's a buffoon and dad has no value. I mean, just look at television. Uh, and it, it, that really started about 30 years ago or so, that every father on TV was either absent or an idiot. And, and it is – Look it is at what the commercials. The, yeah. They're coming out today. Yeah. Um, and we have uh, – I'll take the opportunity to irritate a whole bunch of people this morning – we have, taken show, step, <laughs> we have taken that a step further today uh, where the most hated population on the planet right now are white males. I'm sorry. You can choose to call yourself or claim to be anything else, you know, including a leaf on the wind, I suppose, as long as you do not claim to be a white male. Because white males, particularly fathers, are the quote-unquote problem in the world right now. It's like, well, I'm, I'm sorry, but... That is simply not the case. But is it not human nature, sinful human nature, I might add, that I want to blame somebody else for my irresponsibility? I want to blame somebody else for the results of the sin that I've committed. And it's not only in the illustration that you used, but it can be 
previous generations that have done things wrong or suppositions of what may occur that that people by nature want to blame somebody else was for it, what they're responsible for. Was it not Adam's natural instinct? Uh, the woman made me do it. Lord, why did I sin? Because the woman made me do it. So right from our very beginning, we have been a creation who wants to shift blame to say, oh, it's not my fault. And it's God, not my fault. Yeah. And God loves us enough not to let us get by with it. Right. right. Got to take a break here on the Dave Ellswick Show. This is Kim Hammer, State Senator, filling in for Dave here on the Dave Ellswick Show with the Bible Guys. Be back after the break. Welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show. This is Kim Hammer, State Senator, filling in for Dave, who's under the weather this morning. Uh, also host of the Kim Hammer Show, ever heard every Saturday from noon until 1, here on 101.1 FM, The Answer. You can catch it online or hear, listen to it live on Saturday or go up to the podcast platform. Your choice should be able to find it up there. Uh, this segment is with the Bible Guys, and so glad to have Billy and have Scott in studio. Uh, as they mentioned a while ago, Steve's being a slacker this morning. I'll let him take that up and defend himself because that's – you know, I didn't say that, but they did. So, all right, you got another question that uh, you got another question that was sent in that we need to I answer. Do. Absolutely. So, in that uh, cosmic bully vein, we, we've got a, a question that says, uh, "My girlfriend comes from an abusive place and is struggling with the idea of a graceful God." She says, "The idea of God saying, quote, you all are awful and are going to be abused forever unless you praise me,' end quote, sounds a lot like the abusive situation she comes from." Uh, where the punishment came unless she obeyed and submitted to the abuser. How do I explain uh, how this is not the same? It's kind of, it kind of makes me struggle with this, too. Uh, I mean, if God is so much love, how does he start with a position of us all being awful uh, and so bad he's got to condemn us to the worst imaginable first, then basically scare or punish us into following him? That seems unloving. Please help me understand and explain this better. Right. Okay. Well, um, I'll jump in uh, on this. It, it goes a little bit back to what we were saying a few moments ago about the whole um, the whole bully thing. Uh, it, it seems also like from the question. Obviously, I don't know the whole background of the questioner, but it seems like you've been presented a an image of God that is contrary to who He is in His in His person and His character. Uh, God is not any of those things. Um, we are started off with God, you have to remember that if you're looking at um, the end of the game where you said God would condemn us to a place, um, I would just say this, God doesn't condemn anybody. You right. condemn yourself. Right. Um, you know, the Lord tells us, he says, he actually, you know, knowing the Old Testament, also the New Testament, he says, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. And then he says, choose life. Right. Uh, but at the end of the day, you get to choose um, where you're going to spend Eternity. God isn't condemning you to that. He's basically saying, "Hey, listen. Here is a here's a bowl of uh, you know a sugar, a bowl of salt. You get to choose which uh, which one you want to uh, which one you want to eat." And people are saying, "Well, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna choose the salt." So you're, you're choosing. That's a really stupid illustration. I just pulled out of the air. But basically, my point is, you're choosing where you're going to uh, where you're going to go. And just like in a natural, you could have a good relationship with people, or you could have a bad relationship with people. If you walk around and you are abrasive and you are unkind to people, you're probably going to reap that in your life. But if you choose to to walk in in love with people the best way you can, you you will reap that. Uh, so you know you can choose what kind of relationship you're going to have with uh, with the Lord. So I think it's unfortunate you have 
been given this image of God that he's just uh, someone who is there to be um, to be a bully in your life. But he is. He's a loving, compassionate Heavenly Father. That's why Indeed. he died for you. Yep. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So the the plan is there, and it's a love plan. God chastens those whom, whom he loves, not those he's irritated with or angry with. So the very foundation of everything we have in the Scripture is is love. Why? Because the Bible says God is love and so um, we have to understand that's the that's the basis of, of how we build a um, an image of God's uh, God's character from and of course looking at the life of Jesus who lived out that perfect that perfect life let me uh, let me throw a thought in there on this do you think that uh, God ever gets blamed for a lot of stuff because he's a male figure <laughs> and Jesus is a male figure and where's the female come into play yeah. and you know if I'm a if if I'm a person who's had a bad relationship with a with a male in my life god is presented as a male rightfully so because he is i mean mm-hmm. yeah. don't, don't get mad at me get mad at god that's yeah. that's the way it's structured yeah but yet a lot of things are projected against god because he is in that male role mm-hmm. and yeah. and with men in society being as abusive as they are today um not all men by any stretch of the imagination but the high profile ones get the front page of the paper sure you know with with the, and then talk about the attack you know how yep. satan is trying to attack the male mm-hmm. role in society today yeah it would only stand to reason if i was satan i'd want to try to pull down god by pulling down the image of the fact that he's a man correct and throw in these complicated questions like this and mm-hmm. and how you separate all that and god can maintain the role of being a male without attacking him because he is a male. Yeah. Well, the Bible does say that man was, was made in the image and the likeness of God. So we do hold that. Uh, we, we image him, as it were. I mean, all God's creatures image him. But, I mean, the male in particular, we, you know, Adam, uh, we, image, we image God in that, uh, in that way. And, um, and I know that there are, that there are you, you see this in some, some churches and even some Bible translations where they're trying to make God gender neutral. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Take it, take out male out of the Bible, make him, you know, um, and, and people now talk about, you know, they're wanting to talk about, um, um, not saying mother God, but they're, I'm forgetting now the terminology they're using, but they're, they're now trying to attack the gender of, uh, of God and to make him more gender neutral and not let him be a male because of what you're saying. Yeah. There is very much a, an anti-male uh, bias in the world. But let me just say this. Um, this person here is obviously in a, an abusive situation where people have abused her. It seems like it's a man who's done this. And, you know, that, that's horrible. And that happens. And we deal with people. And we do type, that type of counseling, help people walk through that. Because there are some people who are really bad. But they're bad because the enemy is in their life, not right. because God is in their life. Right. They're reflecting who they're following. They're following the enemy. Therefore, they're reflecting what the enemy does. When you reverse American society back to when God was more dominant in people's mind, let's just go back to uh, before the uh, the Great Depression, go back to you know, pre-1920s. Guess what? I mean, I hear stories about this, and I only hear stories. I never lived it. But apparently, people used to go to bed at night without locking their doors. <laughs> right. People used to leave their cars unlocked. People used to let their kids play outside. Your gun was your security system because you had no other. Right. So, so guess what? Um, there, there was no uh, welfare state. But for some reason, people didn't shoot and maim and kill each other on the streets all the yeah. time. There wasn't yeah. breaking into people's homes. How can you go to bed with your house unlocked if you live downtown? What has happened to our society is a reflection of the removal of God from the conscience of man and not the reverse. So these, uh, these I mean, d- domestic violence, 
teen pregnancies, uh, 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 you know, broken families. All these numbers go up when you remove God from the equation. So the abusiveness that's happening is not a reflection of of the presence of God, but the lack of God yeah, yeah. in the lives of people. Uh, and so the answer to this question here about this abusive situation, you bring God in there. It will solve the problem. Yeah. It's the absence of God that brings about this place we're in. I mean, how could it be? What has happened to society uh, since prayer was taken out of schools back in the 1960s? I mean, I, I've, I did a paper on this a while ago. I just gave this list of horrible atrocities that have happened not only in schools but in homes and in communities since prayer was taken out. You remove God consciousness, you're going to get either the enemy's consciousness or self-consciousness, which neither one of them bring about any good thing. Wherever there's a void of God, Satan fills Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that happens every at every level. It happens in the man's life that is doing this to her, yep. which let me bring this. I think we've got to take a break in a minute, but let me bring this in. So she's trying to do the godly thing. Mm-hmm. She's trying to have the godly response. She is trying to look in the Bible and see examples of where um, maybe a male role model was was not behaving the way God wanted them to behave. Yeah. Um, what, do you, what do you do in the case of where he's supposed to change, but he doesn't change, which doesn't change the situation that she's living in, mm-hmm. even though she's trying to make change through positive you know, uh, reflection of what Christ would want her to do. Yeah. How do we deal with that guy? Okay. Uh, we and, don't... and you can even throw the law in on this answer. Because I do. We are a nation of laws, and, you know, God established the legal system through Moses, mm-hmm. and I think he addressed situations like this. You know, how do you deal with the guy that is doing this kind of thing to the woman from a godly perspective? Right. Well, the the, the question doesn't tell us if they're married. Does not. So Does if not. you're not married, get out of there. As fast Absolutely. as you can, and then you report. Then uh, you would report this man to the um, to the authorities. If you are married, uh, and you do have some type of support system, uh, and particularly if you, ha- if you have a church, I would run to the the church authorities and have the church authorities get involved to help mitigate the situation. If the man is a complete unbeliever and will not do that, then the Bible also addresses that about being able to um, about being able to the the witness of the wife moving the husband, but if the husband will not respond, then the believer is not under obligation in those particular situations. I mean, this, this is a big, that's a big question, Kim, about how to yeah. how to pull all that together. Uh, but I would say if you're not, if that person is not married, up sticks and get out of there I- immediately. Move your uh, absolutely, absolutely, because you, you're not in covenant with that person. You're actually living in sin. If you're living in sin, hello, these are yeah. these are the results of what yeah. living in sin is all about. This is going to uh, this is going to happen in that in that sense. But well, you mentioned you mentioned the uh, state law. What would you? How would you throw that into the the equation? At, you know, and if if this woman is in a state of dependency upon the man, and that her livelihood it's either you know live under an abusive relationship or live in a box, that introduce and we don't know the yeah. we don't know the whole content yeah, of sure, the of sure. the question, but that introduces a whole new you know scenario. I think that's where we as a state do need to step up and be supportive of having places, resources where they can go, which there are shelters out there for women where they can go. I don't know there's enough room, which is unfortunate because that's a sad reflection in our society that if there are shelters for women, but the support services, and I will say this too, you know, the churches need to step up in this area because one of the convictions I've got is that the church over the years, which I think has led to the demise of the country, is we have relinquished too much of our responsibility to the government as well. Just like you know, man in the family mm-hmm. unit has mm-hmm. relinquished sure. and become dependent upon the government. The church, to a certain degree, has mm-hmm. become dependent upon the government in that we'll say, well, we'll let them take care of the abused women. Right. We'll let them take care of the <clears throat> neglected children. Those are all things. You know, as far as the law, 
provide the resources, get to the resource center that can help get you there. Don't be afraid to exercise the law. And I think that we need to increase the penalties on people that do this subject matter that we had in the first half of the hour, mm-hmm. build the bigger prisons, and people that are abusive and are, are truly um, rise to the level of being locked up for a long time if he is abusing her in a, in a terrible way, put his butt away, yeah. give him the resources in prison, give him mm-hmm. time to think about it, and, and get that woman set free from that environment. Mm-hmm. I think, in my opinion, that's okay. Yep. That's the way to move forward. This is this is true, and what you said is really true. The church is used to take care of of these situations. Used to take care of the orphans. Used to take care of the widows. Used to take care of the widows. Used to take care of those in, in these severe conditions. But as the state has continually grown and the voice of the church has continually weakened, we have abdicated our responsibility to the state. The state then, okay. in order to do that, taxes more, removes people's. Go on. I'm sorry. We're going to go to no, break. No, I got. I got to go to yeah. break. I'm getting that eye. But here's here's what I want to come back to, and that, and we'll pick up on this, and that is. What do the churches have to do to get control? Because until the churches get control, until the churches start making that positive impact, we have surrendered to the ungodly force. All right, we're going to take a break here on the Dave Ellsworth Show. We'll come back for the last segment when we get back. Welcome back to the Kim Hammer Show with the Bible Guys. Uh, Golly, did it again. Close enough. Old habit. Oh, that Dave Ellsworth Show. With the Bible Guys, uh, you can listen to my show, The Kim Hammer Show, on Saturdays <laughs> from noon until 1, here on 101.1 FM, The Answer, or on Facebook Live, or go back and catch it on the podcast one or the other. Dave's under the weather. Hopefully, he'll be back tomorrow. And uh, from 9 to 10 today, uh, it's going to be the replay of his interview with Robin Lundstrom, which is a great interview. Uh, so I want to encourage you to tune in in case you didn't hear it before. That would be great coming back on at 10 to 9 o'clock. All right. We're in the last segment of the hour. I've got the Bible Guys on here. Uh, um, let me just ask you, the uh, Bible talks about you know things aren't going to be better before the Lord comes back, or if they were better, he wouldn't have to come back. But yep. the bottom line is, mm-hmm. he's going to come back and get us out of here because things are just going downhill fast. And at some point, we're going to hear that trumpet, boom, we're out of here. In the meantime, there are some signs that are in the Bible, prof- you know, prophetic yep. statements that are in the Bible that... It's like deja, like we're living it out in front of our eyes, man. Yeah. And I think that's one thing people have a little bit of a little trouble getting grasp, getting mm-hmm. the grasp on is like, oh, this stuff really is real because it's not that I heard about it. I'm seeing it yeah. because I heard about it. Yeah. Where do you think we are as far as prophetic timeline? And um, I don't believe in setting dates or times, but yeah, what, based on the signs yeah. around us, where do you think we are? Yeah. I think that goes to one of the questions that we actually have about uh, where we at on the prophetic uh, timeline. If I could just throw this in before I jump into that question, I got a friend a telephone call from a friend of mine uh, just mentioning, uh, going back to the question about the lady who's in an abusive situation, just so you know, women are hugely valuable in the eyes of God. Totally. A- and you cannot overlook the, the women that were involved in the life and the ministry of Jesus. Not only do we have uh, the, the you know, G- uh, Mary's or uh, Jesus' mother, Mary, who Ruth. the Bible says would be would be uh, would be uh, uh, honored throughout all of history. You have Ruth. You have Sarah. Uh, the the lady that was caught in the sin of adultery. She was doing wrong, but Jesus comes to her defense. You have obviously Mary Magdalene who was involved. You have the women who supported his ministry. I mean, Jesus was in the process of lifting women up, and they became very valuable in his life. So I just want to say to this woman that women were extremely valuable in the life and the ministry of Jesus, not only Jesus, but throughout the entire mm-hmm. Word mm-hmm. of God. 
But, you know, Satan wants to raise the value of a woman. Satan wants to devalue the woman. And so when you look around, everything that's happening in society today that's Mm -hmm. being pushed out by Hollywood and everything else, you can't blame God for what the world and Satan is doing as far as devaluing women. That's right. That's that's not us doing that. Don't blame us. Don't blame God. That's what Satan's doing. And he he did that to Eve by by picking her, and and it started from there, and it's been the same thing ever since. Go ahead. And so the enemy has systematically gone after the the women, and God has systematically lifted uh, lifted up the women. So just so the ladies understand... God is your champion. He is on your side. He is there to to lift you up. He's there to lift all of us uh, up to the place that he would want us to be. So I I would encourage uh, any woman who is going through an abusive situation like this, please understand God is for you. He is not against you. And he is there to to lift you up and to to show you just how valuable you truly are in um, in his life. I mean, think about the value he placed on his mother. Even on the cross, you know, he's saving the whole world, and he goes, "Hey, John, take care of Mama." Mm-hmm. I mean, he said, "You you watch after her. You take care of her. And you you can even go to Ephesus and see the house where Mary lived." I mean, it's still it's still there. He wanted to make sure that his that woman in his life yep. was taken care of. And who came to take care of Jesus in the tomb? Yeah, there you go. It wasn't the guys. They were back sleeping in on the couch. <laughs> it was the women that got up early in the Absolutely. morning and went to take care of Jesus. That's right. That's right. The world looks the way it does today because of the lack of God consciousness, not because God is doing this to people, but because right. they've removed God from the public square. Amen. Which makes it easier for Satan to introduce Absolutely. thought processes, philosophies, laws, yep. government regulations. Like you said, when there's a vacuum, the enemy's going to fill it. You take God out of our universities, and guess who comes in there? The enemy comes. You take him out of our schools, the enemy comes. You take him out of your family, the enemy comes in. He's looking for interest. The Bible, that's why the Bible says, give the devil no place. Because if you give him place... He's yep. going to take the place. He's going to take the place. Yep. And he's going to put in place everything that has been removed that should have been there placed That's, by God. In a, in a counterfeit way. That's right. Okay. I, I always ask people, you know, how many mass shootings were there in school when prayer was still in school? There you go. I believe the answer to that is zero. Yep. And how much respect for teachers, how much more yep. learning Absolutely. was occurring, Absolutely. how much of the good stuff was going on mm-hmm. yep. until Satan, and I'm going to say it, the liberals, yep. removed it yep. out and have fought. Mm-hmm. And weak need conservatives who yes. should have fought harder absolutely. to keep it in there. Yep. yep. So absolutely. That's been that's good. Okay, That'll prophetic preach. line. Yeah, Pro- prophetic Pro- timeline. Prophetic line. Billy, I'll pass it to you. Prophetic timeline. Uh, so I'm going to make a statement that's going to sound crazy and that's okay because I've been I've been accused of that in the past. So um I think we're at eleven fifty nine fifty nine, and probably the second hand is swinging. Um I, I think we are in I think we are the generation. Um and I honestly believe, um, I've made this statement, and this is not a prophetic statement. God hasn't whispered in my ear. I'm just one who has a, a tendency to look around and see what's going on in the world. Um, I think we are at another January of 2020. I think in the next 60 days, you probably won't recognize this country. Um, there is too much going on. There's too much pressure building, both internationally and nationally. Um, there is an attempt to foment uh, even more anger between the left and the right as we approach these midterms. Um, I think the world changes again in the next 60 days. Well, I've said this before whenever people have asked questions like this, um, and I think it's important that we, when we ask about, about a timeline, we always remember you have to look at the timepiece. Yep. And biblically speaking, the timepiece is not America. It's not Europe. The timepiece is Israel. 
Everything is tied to what is happening in that land. Absolutely. So that is the timepiece we look at to determine uh, what time it is. I mean, if someone asks you, you're walking down the street, someone says, what time is it? Um, You used to always look at your watch, but now you look at your phone. (laughs) But if if you don't have a phone or a watch to look at, um, then you're going to be guessing, right? So uh, if someone asks biblically, what time is it? the watch you look at, the timepiece you look at, is the nation of Israel and what's happening in Israel today. So you, that's where we focus to sure. find our time. And, and you know, America is not mentioned in the Bible. No. The values and the principles that should be represented in America are, are mentioned in the Bible. Yes. And when the values and the principles are gone from the country, God no longer needs that country because he's going to preserve, he's going to protect. Yep. And he's going to take care of Israel just as a groom should take care of his bride, which is another thing that yeah. could have went back to the previous conversation. Absolutely. So... If we want to be around as America, we need to have God around us. Absolutely. Otherwise, the void goes from border to border, coast to coast. And I'm afraid that's the way we're heading unless God's people step up and get real intentional about getting people saved and getting the Word of God and standing up. Well said. All right, we've had the Bible guys on for this segment of the Dave Ellswick Show. We hope Dave is back tomorrow feeling better. Uh, this is Kim Hammer, State Center. Had the privilege of filling in for Dave today. Appreciate it very much. Heidi, thank you for making us sound good. You couldn't do about anything about making us look good, but we appreciate you helping us sound good this morning. Hope you got a blessing out of listening this morning. With that, uh, we're going to finish up this segment, come back at 9 o'clock, and Dave will have the replay of Robin Lundstrom, State Representative, a show that you want to hear. All right? Thank you very much for listening to the Dave Ellsworth Show. Come on back Saturday to the Kim Hammer Show at noon here on 101.1 FM, The Answer. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.